0: Welcome to the Sacred Ancestry Podcast, a show about discovering the true human potential. Let's dive deep into physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual health. I'm your host, Thomas Worm. What are you struggling with in life? Is it anger, sadness, or fear? What about the seasonality of wildland fire? What about your relationships? Or your work-life balance, or alcohol? about that nicotine. What are you really struggling with? And I'm curious, what have you been doing about it? Have you tried therapy or meditation or journaling? Has anything worked? It really help you with those thoughts, those feelings that you don't even admit that's there. Is what you're doing for your mental health working? And are you free from anger, sadness, fear, anxiety, or depression? Where there's these thoughts and feelings that keep coming back to batter you and smash you, take you deeper into that negative hole. I'm wondering, what are you breathing? What water are you drinking? What foods are you eating? Are you even sleeping well? When's the last time you truly took time for yourself? Have you ever heard of the unconscious mind before? And there's this idea of there being a goal setter and a goal getter. And that goal setter is our conscious mind where we know what we want. We know what we want to focus on. But it's so hard to really take action and actually do it. Like that time where you know you want to quit right when you're walking to the fridge and grabbing that next beer or that cupcake. And really, what about how emotions are stored in our body and not our mind? How these emotions are really stuck in the nervous system. They're like stuck electricity. And when we let go of these emotions, it it frees us to be who we want to be. It gives us a stronger immune system. It helps us boost our mind, body, spirit at all levels, right? And what's most important about this is that our internal state is really projected into the external world. And that's what we see. That's what we feel. That's how we experience the world is through what we believe, what we value, what we think and feel. All those things shape what happens to us in life, doesn't it? I'm curious, is it possible you've created all these problems inside your own mind, inside your own body? The power behind this is that that gives you the chance to unravel, to undo, to let go of all these negative emotions, these limiting beliefs that could be gone, right? If you created them, well, you can destroy them, right? What will happen when you let go of these raw emotions and these wounds you heal yourself? What outcome will you get in life? Will your career get better? Will your relationships be healthier? Will your physical body be in better shape? Here at Mountain Mind Tricks, we use the Breakthrough Session. It's this eight hour process for wildland firefighters. It's two days, four hours each. And the first portion is story. You tell me your story. And I'm listening in a therapeutic way, but I'm also looking about how. How did you create the anger? How did you create the anxiety? How did you create the trauma? Because once we find out how, we find out exactly how it happens, it's easy just to unwind it, let it unravel, and just let you undo it yourself. After we do the release work and all the change work, we work on a compelling future where you have a goal, you have a blueprint to walk forward on a path where you're focused and you take action on exactly what you want in life. That's the power of the breakthrough session. You get exactly what you want out of it if you want to release negative emotions i got you if you want to release limiting beliefs i got you if you want to find peak performance on the fire line i got you what about quitting smoking or a better relationship i got you so i want you to go to mountainmindtricks.com click on the discovery session button and fill out the form that's mountainmindtricks.com When you listen to the Sacred Ancestry podcast, you're supporting wildland firefighters and their mental health journey. So thank you and I appreciate you. Please leave a review and subscribe to the podcast so I can become the best podcaster I can be. You can become a Patreon, which means donating $10 a month will get you two free rollers of essential oils or $50 a month. And that's one free coaching session per month. So I want you to subscribe and leave a review so I can become the best podcaster possible. Thank you and I appreciate you. Hi, I'm so excited for my guest today, Andrew Ecker. He's a coach, course creator, and he's written a book called The Sacred Seven. And Andrew, could you introduce yourself and kind of tell people how you got to where you are and, and what you're doing now?
1: Oh, thank you, Thomas. I'm, I'm really grateful to be here. And, you know, I feel so inspired to offer uh, my service to your community and specifically the first responders. So I'll, I'll go ahead and, and ground in here in a practice of introducing myself. And I'm gonna first introduce myself in, in the traditional language as best as I can. Um, I didn't grow up with the language, so this is really my attempt at decolonizing my mind and grounding into uh, my ancestral heritage. So, Dogate, Andrew Ecker Yinishay, Adonne E. Nishinigi E. Inde Nishay, Irish bashachin Inde dashachay German Dashinali Akote Go E. Tishli E. Portland, Oregon, Inishay, Shema E. Kathy Lindsay Woye, Shaza E. Del Ecker Wole. So I am Andrew Ecker, my mother, Kathy Lindsay, my father, Dale Ecker, my mother's mother, Elba Gallegos, Apache woman from New Mexico, my father's mother, Evelyn Beatty, Irish woman from Pennsylvania, my mother's father, Leroy Lindsay, Apache man from Arkansas, and my father's father, Wayne Ecker, German Algonquin from Pennsylvania, I have a daughter, Bailey, a son, Peyton. A beautiful, beloved fiance, Monica. I was incarnated into this body in the land of the Multnomah and the Clackamas in Portland, Oregon, although I reside here in Phoenix, Arizona, the land of the Akmal Atom, the Peeposh, the Maricopa, the Inde people. And I am so grateful to share on your podcast this idea of really understanding yourself beyond your behaviors. Uh, you know, I grew up in a home where both of my parents were addicted to drugs, my mom died of a cocaine overdose. My father died of cirrhosis of the liver. Um, early memories. I was out shoplifting with my mom, uh, to being a teenager using heroin, intravenous drugs with my dad. Uh, subsequently, you know, the, the kind of the strings of, uh, of my puppet, if you will, you know, the cultural identity, the, uh, familial identity, um, the pain and, and the war that was in my heart led me to a, a path of trying to survive, and that was filled with addiction, you know, it was filled with alcoholism, drug addiction, and subsequently I went to prison for three and a half years for conspiracy with the intent to distribute LSD and uh, psilocybin mushrooms and a bag of weed, you know, possession of marijuana. Um, that was really kind of the beginning of starting to question those strings. You know, I don't know if any of the listeners here can, can relate to feeling like other people and other situations and the culture is running your life, but that's definitely how I felt. Uh, I felt like I didn't have a choice in how I was going to live. I remember the DARE program, you know, I'm, I'm old enough and I'm going to date myself, but, uh, uh, I was, you know, in the Reagan era, uh, as a child and the war on drugs that Nancy Reagan and Ronald Reagan were promoting really was a war on people. And the people that were involved in that war in my life were my family. Uh, my mom, you know, she watched the television one night, we were sitting there and, and I'll never forget this news br- uh, broadcast comes on and it says, you know, children, uh, have been interrogated by the DARE program and they're, they're basically convicting parents for using marijuana. Uh, so when the D.A.R.E. program came into my class, uh, when I was a fifth grader in Portland, Oregon, I was so afraid and I had already, you know, developed a relationship with mental illness. I had already had a relationship with post-traumatic stress and my heart just started beating out of my chest, Thomas. You know, I, I got so scared that I, I went to the bathroom on myself, you know, I was in the fifth grade. And I just knew that those police officers were going to interrogate me. You know, I just knew that they were going to um, take me into some locked room and start asking me questions about my mom, Um, you know, but they didn't do that. But what they did do is they said to this group of fifth graders, now, mind you, this is in a low income neighborhood in Portland, Oregon. They looked at this group of fifth graders and they told us, if you have one drug addict parent, you're 50 percent more likely to become a drug addict. And I know that the the police officers, you know, didn't have any ill, ill feelings about us. They weren't trying to, to tell this group of children that they were genetically flawed and that there wasn't a choice in their life. Uh, But that's the way that my body metabolized that, you know, it metabolized it in the way of thinking that I had a genetic disposition that I basically was flawed because both my parents were drug addicts. And that was who I was. Um, You know, I began to instantly kind of feel into that space, it was almost like a dark cloud fell over me. Uh, And that, you know, was the first time anybody told me who I was. Uh, You know, I had never really thought about it, you know, but after that, I started questioning things And I remember coming home from school and asking my grandpa, you know, well, what am I? And my grandfather, who was career military and uh, did several tours in Vietnam, went into the military by falsifying the family Bible at 16 years old, directly into the Korean conflict. Uh, he had a relationship to post-traumatic stress and also a relationship to alcoholism. I came home from school and I said, Hey, the kids are asking me, what am I? And, you know, he looked at me from basically behind a bottle of whiskey and he said, Well, you're a renegade Apache. And I didn't know what that meant. You know, I did know that my elders didn't talk the same way, didn't look the same way as my friends. Uh, I was in Portland, Oregon. My family was originally from New Mexico. We were all New Mexico transplants and very clannish family, like a lot of Native American families. Uh, one uncle got a good job. And basically, he paid for everybody else to come live there. And I grew up on the same street as my grandma, my grandpa, my mom, whatever boyfriend she had, uh, or, you know, my stepfather, eventually my aunt, my uncle, my great grandma, my great grandpa, and just down the street, a little ways was my uncle. Uh, We were all very close and just really hung out together. So that was the influences, you know, of my life. And, also you know thinking about like the john wayne movies and the clint eastwood movies of uh my childhood uh it was definitely these ideas of being a warrior you know what did that mean you know i'm an apache warrior went through my mind and um you know the battle was the united states government and uh any kind of uh i guess you know authority figures in my life um You know, I I went to prison for selling LSD and mushrooms, but it was really the stone in my sling. You know, I I thought the United States government was Goliath and I was David. And those substances were what I was going to use to cause my own revolution. And, uh, yeah, it was very destructive, you know, growing up in that environment and being left at drug houses, uh, you know, being taught to steal, all of those things. It was really... Uh, challenging, but I've, I've always been a uh, a fairly intelligent person, you know, and I was able to get through high school. um, And, you know, I had that kind of yearning in my heart to reconnect with my mom because, you know, I was bounced back and forth, family member to family member all over the country, basically, Um, you know, Arkansas, Arizona, Oregon. uh, Yeah, it was kind of, uh, you know, whoever could handle me the longest, because I was dealing with, mental illness as a kid and, you know, showing behaviors of waking up in the middle of the night and going on perimeter checks around my house, uh, you know, taking knives and, and holding them in bed with me because I was scared all the time, Thomas. You know, I was just really afraid. In um, that post-traumatic stress relationship, I just needed to medicate myself. I started drinking at a very early age, you know, eighth grade, uh, was getting in trouble with the law and having minor consumption tickets all the way through my, my high school years. Uh, and then when I finally, you know, I would say kind of graduated and went to prison, that's when things really started to shift because this is going to sound really challenging to people that have never grown up around home insecurity or, um, those types of things, but I felt safe in prison. You know, I knew for three and a half years I was going to have a place to live and, uh, That caused me to, you know, for the first time in my life, begin to question uh, these kind of generational traumas and generational addictions that were in my life. And I started to reach out for spirituality. I started to really learn more about myself. And, you know, what was available to me was Christianity. And I got really into Christianity. I started a ministry ministry. Uh, at the prison, I started speaking in the prison church and uh, reading the Bible and fasting. And man, it was like so many things were starting to click in my life. You know, I felt like I really had, uh, for once in my life, uh, a message that wasn't just about drugs, that wasn't just about you know the gangs and uh, the criminal activity. It it meant something. And I started writing letters to people, you know, people that I was getting high with on the streets that I was doing drugs with. And so many miracles happened. You know, a person came into my life that supported me financially while I was in prison. A person came into my life and started visiting me. And her name was Kathy. She was an angel. She was actually the mother of one of my friends who was struggling with addiction she happened to pick up a letter from me and read it and seen this transformation. in it it really was um, just a powerful experience, you know, to uh, feel like there was someone that cared. And I started seeing manifestations in, in my life and it was uh, really powerful. Now, I had been in and out of the system for, you know, since I was a kid, being sent to, you know, diversion classes, alcohol diversion, um you know, criminal petty theft, diversion, all kinds of things like that. But I never had access to what I would say is real treatment. Uh, When I got my federal charge, I was able to go through a 500-hour drug rehabilitation program. And that Man, really started this transformation. I, I started understanding cognitive behavioral change, and I, I was utilizing things like self-hypnosis and going into my mind and healing some of the shame and the trauma uh, that I experienced as a child. Which, you know, some of the listeners that are out there that maybe have a relationship with mental health, this is a lifelong practice um, you know, you don't get over some of the traumatic experiences that many of us have had in this culture. You know, you learn to live with them in a way that serves you. And really, I find like, that's, that's the message of finding your medicine. You know, what is your medicine? How do you show up in the world? Um, and for me, it was, uh, definitely spirituality. So I got out of prison. They sent me to a halfway house. I was in this halfway house for six months serving God, you know, going every weekend and sometimes twice a week to uh, work in the same neighborhoods where I was dealing drugs. I became a pastor of a ministry. Um, It it was a bus ministry for picking kids up uh, and taking them to church. And I'll never forget, Thomas, this uh, one day this little boy comes on, on my bus and kids are throwing stuff at him. They're picking on him and calling him names and everything. And he walks by me. And, uh, I just knew that, you know, he, he was dealing with, with post-traumatic stress, uh, because he had gone to the bathroom on himself. Uh, so I followed him to the back of the bus and I sat there with him and this little boy, uh, his name was James. And I'll never forget this little boy. Um, sitting there with his head down, you know, dirty clothes, just filthy. Uh, And I looked at him and I said, uh, you know, is your mom in jail, James? And, you know, he he didn't say anything to me. I said, I bet your dad's not around much, right? And he still didn't say anything to me. And and I said, it's really, you know, these kids are, are just being vicious to you. And I apologize for that. And I said, uh, you know, when I was a little boy, I I used to go to the bathroom on myself. And my mom was in prison and my dad was in prison. And right when I said that, he looked up at me and and he had this dirty face, you know, and these tears, big crocodile tears started falling down. And I'll just never forget those, uh, that little kind of uh, river of dirty water, you know, coming down from his face. And after we took the kids to to church, I ended up taking him and going and getting some clean clothes for him. And, you know, when we brought him back uh, to his house, I w- I had every intention, you know, to get off that bus and give that person a piece of my mind, you know, sending their kid to church like that. And when I walked up to the home, uh, I realized that, uh, you know, it was it was basically my childhood right there. It was an aunt that was taking care of a little boy that had mental health problems that didn't know how to take care of herself. She was on such She had substance abuse. They were stealing electric from the neighbor. They didn't even have electricity on. They didn't have any water. Um, you know, and subsequently from that kind of engagement, I ended up fostering some kids, you know, the whole family basically, because she, she ended up catching a case and going to prison. Uh, and me and my, uh, my ex-wife actually, um, yeah, fostered these kids for, you know, several months. And one of them ended up, um, you know, fathering him for five years out of that. Uh, he was a, another, uh, one of the, the siblings of, of James and a couple other kids that we took in. And that was a transformational experience for me. And, you know, unfortunately, like maybe some of the listeners, you know, I didn't want to get, I didn't get married with the, the feeling of getting divorced, you know, I didn't come into that marriage with that. Um, And, you know, my, my wife was basically my mom, you know, she was, uh, she was addicted to drugs and alcohol. She was um, a rageaholic and was, was hospitalized five times in our marriage and I just couldn't hold it together. Uh, And I started seeing kind of um, the parts of Christianity that I was avoiding for all the years that I was serving. In the church, I started seeing things in a in a different way. Um, I started seeing more of the religion show up and less of uh, you know my relationship with God. And I, I remember there was a moment there where it was like, oh, I lost my religion. I lost my my wife, I lost this, you know, these children I was fostering, my whole identity was dissolved. And, you know, to go even further, uh, I had a business cleaning carpets and my ex-wife decided that she was going to steal the carpet cleaning equipment and sell it. Um, And I didn't have my business anymore. And man, I was on the razor's edge there. And it was like, um, you know, I, I felt like, like going back to using, and this was 10 years into my sobriety. Uh, and, you know, I was driving around 27th Avenue, which is like, you know, the other side of the tracks here in Phoenix. And thankfully, you know, uh, I didn't pick anybody up because I was about to, to go back. Um, and in that really challenging time in my life, I found a place, um, called native American connections. And this is a place that, Helps people that are struggling with drug addiction. Helps people that are struggling with alcohol, and they have a community sweat lodge. So I started. I started attending this sweat lodge, and and like I said, this was about ten years into my my spiritual walk, and the memory started coming back. You know of what it meant to be to be indigenous, what it meant to be native, uh, and I started asking questions about that. Now. Another part of this whole kind of uh, message that I guess I have for everyone is I've had a relationship to music, and I'm actually a professional drummer, and I'm a drum circle facilitator. So I work now in hospitals, and I do team building and all kinds of uh, really powerful experiences. At that time, I was uh, facilitating drum circles, and I was invited to go to a... um, a healers conference on the Navajo nation. Now this was all kind of simultaneous, you know, how the universe brought this into my life. I found Patina uh, wellness community and, and native American connections, and I got invited to the reservation. So I go to the reservation and I'm at this uh, healers conference and I do a drum circle and it's great. Then this, the man, this Navajo man comes up to me. And he says, uh, I would like to invite you back to my Hogan, which is a, a traditional house. It's a, uh, you know, shaped like a stop sign basically. And uh, he said, we're doing a ceremony over there and I I want you to come. And I said, really? I said, that would be great. So I showed up before everybody else and um, there was a young man who was there that was kind of his apprentice, I think, and was helping Fillmore out and he was sweeping the Hogan and uh, he had a fire in there. It was really cold. It was winter time. And the smoke and the dust, it was almost like a memory came to me, Thomas, like something inside of me. Uh, With that whole experience started to shift. And I remember these elders came from the community and they sat down in the circle in this hogan. And the only thing they wanted to do was introduce themselves. And I was like, what does this mean? You know, all these questions came through my mind. Because every time that each one of them would introduce themselves, there was a tangible shift in the energy. It was as if their ancestors were showing up, that the air, the water, the fire, the earth, you know, the creator, the universe, all of it was changing when they just introduced themselves. And now I, you know, I start to think to myself, I want to learn how to introduce myself. And I started to incorporate that into my, my prayer life. And at Patino Wellness Center, I started to introduce myself in the sweat lodge. And I didn't know how to do it in the, in the traditional language. Uh, but that was a desire. I wanted to teach myself how to to utilize my traditional language, and I, um, yeah, I remember, you know, after years of of going there and and you know asking people, how do I introduce myself? And then going online and studying the language and all of this. I, I remember going to uh, Patina one day, and I kind of psyched myself up, you know, to use the language, the traditional language, and I chickened out, Thomas. You know, I. I was afraid because uh, I just didn't feel like I was Indian enough, you know, to do it. And then the next time I, I came back and I, you know, I, I went to the to the sweat lodge. And the next time I said, I'm going to do it as best as I can. And, and I remember I sat in there and I, you know, I, f- I fumbled through the traditional introduction. And I remember the uh, looking around for, you know, and feeling like somebody's going to laugh at me. You know, somebody's going to pick on me. Uh, and none of that happened, Thomas, none of that happened. And, uh, uh, my uncle, who is my adopted uncle, a really powerful man of God. I can, I can tell you a very spiritual man, uh, named Ted Begay. Uh, he looked at me and he said, nephew, now I, I need to give you an Indian name. He said, and everybody started laughing, you know, and, uh, I said, uncle, I hope it's an easy one. And he said, well, that's your Indian name. Easy way. Aho," he said, like that. (laughs) You know, Uh, so that's uh, that's my Indian name. You know, easy way because I wanted it to be an easy one, one that I could say really easy. And uh, yeah, that was another pivotal moment for me. And you know, and then I realized that hey, you know, there's probably people in the world, you know, outside of myself that could benefit from this understanding of self identity. Uh, So I wrote a book about it. Uh, called The Sacred Seven, which is based on uh, indigenous practices of uh, ancestral introduction, ceremonial introduction. And now I help people and I teach them how uh, they're more than their behaviors, how they have a sacred connection to the air, the water, the fire, the earth, to their ancestors, um, you know, and, and I'm hoping that we can start to change culture together. And that's why I'm here, Thomas, is that, uh, you know, I see where the what are you going to be when you grow up question has led us. Uh, and I see what happens to people when they don't know that they're sacred, when they don't know that they're holy and that they're special. And uh, today I've made it my, my real purpose in life uh, to help people understand, you know, who they are. And in that, right, they get to explore relational spirituality, emotional intelligence, and really, you know, hopefully create a legacy. You know, I know I want to be one day sitting around a campfire in my, you know, maybe in my backyard and, and my little granddaughter look up from the fire glowing in her face and say, you know, I'm the, I'm the granddaughter of Andrew Ecker. You know, I want to be able to experience that because my mom didn't experience that. My grandmas and grandpas didn't experience me saying that, you know, and how beautiful that would be if, if our country, our, our world started to remember that they're children, that they're grandchildren, you know, we could start to let go of all this ego, you know, all this stuff that builds us and separates us from one another. Um, you know, that's why our ancestors, you know, taught us that you're, You know, before anything, you learn how to introduce yourself before you learn about God, before you learn about your job, before anybody asks you, what are you going to be when you grow up? You know who you are, you know, and that's why regenerative communities around the world, uh, indigenous communities, spiritual people have taught this to children uh, before anything else. So, yeah, that's my message, Thomas. And, you know, I uh, I'm so grateful to be able to share that with you here. Uh, on your, your podcast.
0: Oh, thank you so much. There's, there's so much beauty in the story that you have. And, and, uh, you know, there is some things for me to relate to, you know, I had those addictions in my teenage years. I, I went through a hard time with that addiction, overcoming that and, and, uh, you know, some of the trauma associated with firefighting and those things. And, and, um, you know, not that I understand at it all, it's, it's more of a, a resonation that uh, thank you um, you know, for, for telling that story and I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for sharing. And, and, um, something I wanted to ask you about, and I think this is, um, you know, just a question about, um, like generational trauma. And I think it shows up in the, in the native cultures more because there's more trauma there. Right. But how did that affect you or how have you seen that, like that generational trauma?
1: Oh my gosh. You know, uh, i think that the awareness of understanding generational trauma is something that brings us to a point of liberation and sovereignty with a relationship to it Uh, for me it was like the universe just brought it home and in so much of my experience with captivity i was sent to the uh, my state prison time was at the very same prison yard i visited my father at Uh, out of all the prisons in the state of arizona they sent me to the prison that I went to, to visit my dad. And then when I did my federal time, I went to Nellis, which is on the air force base in Las Vegas. And that was where my mom was born. My mom was born on that air force base. So, you know, all of the metaphors that are involved in that uh, it was really like the universe was saying to me, you know, think about like how, the trauma of your parents has shown up in your life, you know, feel into that. You know, I felt the, the Holy Spirit really guiding me into that direction. And I can tell you that, yes, there is so much to unpacking the generational trauma of, you know, my Native American ancestors that, that goes back to, you know, the genocide that is still going on uh, in the United States of our people. Uh my you know family lines, my my mother is a Lindsay, her mother is a gallegos, her mother is an Alvarez, and her mother is a Fiero. Uh and that's about as far back as I can go. Originally, my ancestors came from Texas, and we were the first contact Apache people in Texas with the United States. Uh the, the group of the band of Apaches in Texas are called LaPan or Leponies, Um and we're known as the Gray People. Now, my family lived in the Madera River Valley there, and I have a book that was written about the people of there that documents my, my grandmother's indigenous uh, identity, yet the United States government has never recognized the Apaches of Texas. Um, you know, we, our people were never given a reservation in Texas. We don't have any homeland in Texas. All of our people were removed to places like New Mexico or to Oklahoma and the whole entire state of Texas. There are no original indigenous, uh, lands that are set up for the people of Texas. There are, um, tribes in Texas, but they were actually moved from the East coast there. You know, this is one of the largest states in the United States. But yet, why are there no reservations? Why do we have no homeland uh, in Texas? And that is because Texas was ground zero for the American Indian War. Um, You know, the Comanches and the Apaches held Texas for a long time. Um, It was a battleground. Uh, The Texas Rangers were birthed out of that um, battle. And um, yeah, they were, you know... I have, you know, adopted family, you know, uh, Apache family that talk about their grandmothers, you know, and I'm talking about, you know, people that are alive today uh, and their grandmothers telling them stories of, uh, you know, family members being killed by the Texas Rangers. This is not, you know, when people think of ancestral trauma and they think of genocide and they think of these things we tend to have this idea of it being you know hundreds of years ago and it's very real and very close to our people um and it's been you know survival still to this day i go to the national forest and i have a a a video on my youtube channel of standing in front of a sign that says you know voices of the past now think about this thomas you know, I'm, I'm Native American, right? I know that I'm alive. I'm still here. But when I go to the National Forest, there's a sign that says, voices of the past. And it says, literally says, these languages were spoken here. These people were here. These people are not here anymore. And it has a picture of a Neanderthal-looking caveman, you know, on, uh, you know in this sign. And it says literally the Athabascan language was spoke in this national forest. And, you know, I looked at that sign, Thomas, and I said as best as I could in my traditional language, my introduction to the sign. And that for me was a moment of defiance. You know, that for me was a sign to the world, to the ancestors, to everyone that just because your sign says that we're not here, we're still here. You know, and this is when, you know, we start to unpack this idea of generational trauma. We start to look at, you know, the way we show up in this world, how we take responsibility for that. And that for me is something that we can change because really it will be voices crying from the bottom up. You know, I don't think that the the National Forest Service is going to start changing those weak people of the past signs or, you know, start using the context of native americans as something of being here now until we really as a people embrace the idea that native american people are still here that we're still a part of this experience i mean just as recently as the um the elections cnn had on a poll and it said you know uh, white america black america asian america latinx and then underneath that it said something else thomas Literally in this past election. That's how much this culture has come to just think that it's okay to to write us, you know, off. Um, to say that we're not here anymore. And it's it's such a struggle because, you know, when I think about that, the voice of, of you know, within the woven fabric of my DNA, you know, the very makeup of of me as a human being begins to, to question reality. And any person that grew up with the story of being Native American, there's, you know, a part of you that says, uh, oh, it'd be so much easier just to forget that, you know, just to forget that I'm Native American and to just let it go to the side. And I think it was Russell Means, he's a, a very powerful political uh, person in the Native American um, uh, aim, which is the American Indian movement. Uh, he said, you know, you can be anything in the United States except Native American. Be anything you want to be here, Thomas, except Native American. And why is that? You know, it is because of that direct relationship to not only the generational trauma of our people, but also the generational trauma of those that have genocide us. Because there are people that are even living today with that shame and that guilt and don't know what to do with it. And until we all come to a place of realizing that when we you know, introduce ourselves at a PTA meeting or a 12-step program. And we say, you know, I just want to acknowledge the Akma Atom, the people of Phoenix. You know, I I want to begin this uh, Pledge of Allegiance or this, uh, how how beautiful it would be if we started the Super Bowl uh, with the national anthem and an acknowledgement of the ancestral lands of the people that the Super Bowl is on. You know, how do we begin to change culture in that way? You know, wouldn't it be awesome if you came into any major city in the United States and it said, welcome to Phoenix, Arizona, the ancestral land of the Akhmal O'odham. You know, these are things that we as a community, as a culture of spiritual people have to take responsibility for ourselves because we're not, it's not going to change until we learn, until we educate ourselves and our children. You know, these are significant things because when we do acknowledge the ancestral lands of the people, what we, we have is a, a direct conscious connection to an earth-based knowledge system that enhances our spiritual life. The, the, you know, the wind blows against our skin in a different way. The sun shines against our face in a different way. The fortification of our own ancestral lineage becomes stronger, and we live a more powerful way of existing in this world. And that for me is something that, you know, I want to, I want to share with people, you know, I want to share it with people because I know that this is the, the conscious shift in our community, the conscious shift in our culture that will bring about the transformation that we all desire, uh, the brotherhood of all people, the, the opening of hearts, the decolonization of our minds, our emotional sovereignty. It, it comes back to that. So, yes, is ancestral trauma apparent in our Native American people? If, of course it is, but it's also apparent in in all people. Um, you know, it's something for all of us to unpack and to look at. You know, an interesting statistic, and I know that, you know, many of us hear the statistics about Native Americans having the highest rate of suicide and the highest rate of drug addiction and um, you know, alcoholism. And that's important to realize, okay? Yeah, it is important. But if you look at, like, let's take, for instance, Native American men and a really awesome friend of mine who works for uh, SAMSHA, which is Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services. And Shelby Rowe, I want to give a shout out to her because she's taught me so much in my life. And she has a, uh, a really powerful talk. And she says that, You know, statistically, from 18 to 25, we do have the highest rates of suicide. But guess what happens when we turn to 35? From 35 to 65, we have the lowest rates of suicide, the lowest rates of alcohol, the lowest rates of drug addiction in our Native American men. And that's something that's important for us all to realize. Because once we learn to understand our ancestral trauma, once we learn to navigate the world, You know, it doesn't matter if you're a a Native American that understands that we are living in a genocide right now. Not that it's it, it has happened and it's a thing of the past, but we are living in genocide. And right when we come to grips with that and we learn a spiritual practice, we're better off than, you know, just your average contemporary American.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. And, and uh, I totally agree with you because um, the, the ancient earth wisdoms are something that are dear to me that have helped me become um, one more spiritual, but two more um, conscious of my emotions of how I'm showing up in the world, like my behaviors and my beliefs. And I think you know it's important to to thank you for your heritage, thank you for your ancestors, thank you for the languages that you speak. Like it's it's important that we have this in the world because it's priceless. The the wisdom that you have, the wisdom that your um, ancestry has, it's priceless, and the world needs these teachings, this wisdom, this healthier life right now. I mean, more than ever, right? Oh, so true, Thomas and. You know, I would love for, I I would like
1: to come back on your show again and to hear your introduction, you know, to hear you introduce your mom and your dad and your grandmas and grandpas and where they came from. You know, that would be a blessing for me. That would be something sacred for, um, you know, us to experience together. And hopefully you can come on our Sacred 7 podcast and do that. That would be a major blessing for everyone. Uh, Because, yeah, it gives us a deeper understanding of ourselves and also of the way we relate to one another. You know, can you imagine what, um, you know, the indigenous people, even the Irish and, the you know, the Celts and the Druids that had this this wisdom in Europe uh, and they sat around with, uh, you know, the first Romans that came into that land. And they would sit in the circle and ceremonially introduce themselves as the child of and the grandchild of and from these lands, you know, specifically connected to the land identity. And then to have a Roman general come in and say, you know, hi, I'm so-and-so and and I'm the general of the Roman army. Like how conflicting conflicting that would be, right? These two ideas of self-identity. One self-identity is associated with the ancestors and the land. And the other self-identity is associated with a job. You know, what would that be like if, you, if all you knew was how to celebrate yourself as a child, how to celebrate yourself as a grandchild, how to celebrate yourself as directly connected to the land? And then you're confronted for the first time with a person that only knows themselves as a job. You know, I think about that. And there's a part of me that has that memory inside of my DNA, you know, maybe it was my, my ancestors, my Apache ancestors, the first time they met uh, the United States cavalry. You know, and they sat in circle together and, and they introduced themselves from their clans and from their grandparents. And, you know, this general from the United States said, I'm, I'm the, the general of this army. And how, how challenging that would be for the people. You know, and just like the humility that it takes to say, I'm a child of, I'm a grandchild of. My family was born here. You know, we were born in these lands. You know, and then you think about, well, how did we get to this behavior of identifying ourselves as jobs? You know, when did we start to forget that we're children, that we're grandchildren? And it, it really goes back to, to war, Thomas, if, if we really start to think about it in a macro sense. You know, there was a time in Europe when the only people that could have a name that was associated with the earth were called landlords. And they were the only ones that were allowed to have an identity that was associated with the land in which they inhabited. Everybody else was a smith, a parson. They were a knight. They were a sower. You know, they were something that was associated with a job title. And the reason was because that was an ability for that landlord to gain wealth. They could now borrow against their knights. They could borrow against their sowers. They could borrow against their farmers. And if there was a ledger that maybe had, you know, I have 150 knights, 1,000 farmers, uh, you know, 200 uh, smiths. And I could take that ledger and I could go to another king and I could borrow money for war. And that system, right, of job identity has now translated into our social security number. And this is the way organizations like the IMF, you know, the international monetary fund and the world bank and global, um, you know, uh, financiers borrow money, um, to, again, you know, most of the time have war. Um, you know, this is how all of it goes back to the way we identify ourselves, the way that we show up in the world. So many, of the, of the issues that we're faced with. They go back to this idea of us as a people embracing the simplicity of our self identity. And then from that point, that kind of foundation, now we get to expand. And if we can relate to each other as children again, you know, maybe we can start to let go of some of the, the defenses, you know, some of the distortions and we can start living um, authentic and vulnerable lives, uh, of intimacy and spirituality and some of the really great parts of this earthling experience, you know, that I, I desire for everybody. And that's why I give away my book for free is because I I want people to learn these, these ideas, these concepts and, and incorporate them into their own families, you know, teach your children that they're a daughter, teach your children that they're a son, that they're a grandson, tell them where their family comes from. You know, teach them their their grandparents, your grandmother's maiden name. You know, sit down and share those stories with them. Um, these are the practices that increase our successful living. So many of us have gone out and and got our DNA done and and you know, our ancestry and 23 and me. And you know, now it's time for us to begin to incorporate that knowledge spiritually. You know, to sit around the fire, to go into your favorite camping spot, and introduce yourself to that fire. These are the things that I teach people um, in my book, and also in my course and in my coaching. Uh, because we're never going to know where to go until we know where we're at, Thomas. And so many of us don't know where we're at.
0: Yeah, it's so powerful, and and it's just amazing. You're you're bringing up uh, this identity piece, and and I think the identity tied to job is just, it's, it's uh, horrifying. It really, the way you just explained that it, it really like, it makes me question that a lot. Like that is so interesting and powerful. And, and thank you for that wisdom. And, and tell us more about this book that you've written, The Sacred Seven.
1: So again, it really, The Sacred Seven came out of years of prayer and meditation with the knowledge of self-identity. And coming from a place of not growing up with the traditions, not growing up with, um, you know, an understanding of ceremonial introduction or or self identity at all, um, I knew that you know the destructive behaviors, the addiction, um, the failed relationships, uh, all of the you know the feelings of lack in my life that. Um, This was something that I wasn't experiencing in my relationships with uh, the indigenous elders that have come into my life. Um, You know, uh, those, those people that, you know, are in my life now that know themselves, right. There's an effortless manifestation of beauty in their lives. And that was something that I desired and I wanted to help people understand it in a contemporary way, you know, understand these traditional earth-based wisdoms in a way that they can apply to their lives. Not that I'm going to teach people how to introduce themselves in Apache. You know, that's irrelevant. You know, not that I'm going to teach you, you know, the exact way of, you know, the way my ancestors looked at self-identity, but I wanted to create a contemporary version of this earth-based wisdom that people could begin to apply to their lives in their own authenticity, in their way of showing up in the world. And they could call upon their, you know, their Jewish ancestors, their Italian ancestors, their, you know, their Polish ancestors, their African ancestors, whatever it is. And then in our American experience, they could begin to identify with the lands in which their grandparents were born. There's something specific about that. You know, I feel that the Sacred Seven is this contractual agreement that we create in the spirit. And we create this idea of my parents, my grandparents, and me all agreed to show up in this world for a reason. There's medicine in my existence. You know, when I came to that place of realizing that I chose my parents, Thomas, it was like all of the pain fell away from me. And I started stopped stop being a victim and I started being victorious. And it's, you know... It's something to say boldly, you know, my mother's name and my father's name and to realize that they were involved in, they taught me to steal. They taught me to use heroin, you know, all of these things. But yet I understand that that's my medicine and it's beautiful. And I remember having this powerful emotional experience, you know, sometime after I connected with that little boy on the bus, James, and I I felt the love that James had for me, and I felt the love of the children on the bus that I was ministering to. And, man, I get just, like, emotional thinking about this because it's, like, it's so powerful, Thomas, because, man, everything started to make sense, man. You know, everything in my life started, the pain that I was going through when I was suicidal, the hurt that I was going through when I was depressed, the times when I was self-harming and I was putting needles in my arm and cutting myself and all the things that I went through – When I started sharing my medicine, my story with people, it was like, wow, this is for a reason, you know, it means something. It's not just wasted. My parents didn't just die for no reason. My mom didn't get beat up by the police for no reason. She didn't get raped in a drug house for no reason, you know, all of it made sense and That's what the sacred seven is about. It's about finding your medicine, your authentic medicine, your vulnerable medicine. You know, what really, you know, is you, you know, we're all somebody, you know, I don't care if you had two drug addict parents, if you were raped as a child, you know, I went through that stuff. You know, I, you're still, you mean someone, you mean something, you know, your medicine is beautiful, you know, have the courage to share that. You know, go out and tell people what you've been through because there's so many people out there that right now are struggling. I mean, there's we have more people dying than ever before in recorded history, more people in prison ever before in history. You know, people OD and people dying of, of drugs and dying of suicide and struggling with mental health issues. And and we all need to show up to mend the hoop, you know, to mend the sacred hoop and that's what the sacred 7 is about thomas it's about me guiding people to find their medicine through these ancient technologies these ancient wisdoms and it's so important so relevant today so if they go to my my website and they get a signed copy of my book i you know you can get the the book for free a pdf copy you can print at your house but if you get a signed copy of my book I'll give you a personal message and I'll also send a copy to a person living in prison. And um, cause we're trying to change things right now, you know, we're trying to, to come up with solutions and these spiritual teachings, these powerful teachings of our indigenous people are, are something that are, it's relevant. You know, it's not just, it's not just to write off and forget us, you know, we still can help you. We can still help the people of this earth. If they'll just learn, you know, not to, to do it the way we do it but to learn how to apply these principles to their own unique experience you know and that's something that's so beautiful about it thomas is once people learn how to introduce themselves it's like they remember you know it's like oh there's there's this message inside of their dna and we've heard people you know some of our the people that have gone through our teachings and gone through our course and and have worked with me um this one young lady out in California you know, Jennifer, she, she got my book at a music festival because we do a lot of music festivals. And I remember she came back and she told us later, she said, you know, I sit with homeless people and I read your book to them because it's been so inspiring to me. And she's like, she looks at me and she's like teary eyed. And she says, Andrew, the first time I stood and looked out at the Pacific ocean and introduced myself, the earth shook. There was an earthquake right after that. And when she said that, it was like, oh my gosh, man, it just meant so much because there are other people that have come in and they've said, you know, when I went to the mountain and I introduced myself for the first time, there was a hawk that flew over my head. It was like the ancestors were calling to me. People have said that a a deer trotted in front of them, you know, that they, they seen the sunset in a new way that their lives started to change. And it's just, for me, it's like, uh, it's I, I know that there's more to this experience than just being a job, man. We're earthlings. We're powerful spiritual people. And this message is about you remembering that, you know, the people remembering um, who they are. And when we seen your podcast, I was like, I got to go on this podcast because he's really speaking our language. And, you know, I'm so happy that we're able to connect and and be a part of this.
0: Oh, Thank you so much for sharing that. And, and I wanted to share a, a small story here, because I think it it's, it's just really starting to flesh out in my own mind. And that is, you know, the last couple of years, I've had this identity crisis of like, I don't want to be a firefighter, because I'm like, I want to shift gears, I want to shift like careers and And it was so tied to the job, like to the point where, um, this summer I actually had to do some really deep spiritual work of like letting go of that identity, letting go of that, like of holding onto it so tight that I'm just a firefighter, right? Like, well, what else am I, what else could I be? And it it really, it came down to, you know, sometime in my past, I was told to be a firefighter by my dad or by somebody else. And I was told to do that where, really in the deep down, what I'm supposed to be doing, like my real purpose, my medicine is healing other people and helping them and writing and, and being creative. And that when I opened, when I shifted that, that identity to like, it's not just a place to make money. That's not my identity. The identity is like like purpose, like and 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 I really feel like you're opening my mind to like, well, no, it's ancestry. Like it really is deeper than just purpose. There's more, um, so I really want to thank you for that, and and what an amazing storyteller you are, and thank you for your wisdom and and I just want to ask, is there anything else I didn't ask you or anything else you would like to talk about?
1: Oh, you know, um, I just want to give acknowledge you and the pain that we have to go through when we're, you know, and I I also feel like, um, like it wasn't just your father, right? It was the culture, the society saying, what are you going to be when you grow up? You know, and think about that for a second, Thomas, you're just this little person, right? And you don't know anything about the world. And then somebody comes along with this void, you know, representation of self-identity, you know, we need to teach our children that they are somebody before we start asking them to be somebody else. And that, for me, is the responsibility that we all have. And you know what? When you let go of those, all of those ideas that are led by that void, you then find your medicine. And it's natural and effortless to go into that direction of connecting to, um, to your, your real path, your chosen path. as uh, as a healer, as a person that works with energy, as a person that shows up in the fullness of the authenticity of you. And I'm just so grateful, Thomas, that you had the courage to do that for all of us, you know, because without you making that commitment to yourself, we wouldn't have the ability to know your medicine. And, you know, a, a Lakota man, Uh, Named Robert White Mountain. He said that his elders taught him. He's a friend of mine. He said to me, he said, you know, Andrew, the, the main problem that we have in this world is that we forgot the hoop. You know, we don't know how to mend the circle. And for me, that's exactly what you're doing is you're taking responsibility for your place in the circle. You know, and there's a person that that once they know themselves and they they can identify themselves as an earthling and as as, you know, a child and a grandchild, they're going to come to that place and they're going to go, oh, okay, I'm supposed to be a firefighter and they're going to go down that road effortlessly. It'll be effortless manifestation. There'll be no resistance in them, you know, finding their way to being a firefighter. And they won't go through the struggles of questioning that. They won't go through the the patterning of the destructive behaviors that manifest in so many of our lives when we first don't know ourselves. And then we start making decisions to be something else because it's led by the void of this contemporary culture. And that's something that we can all begin to practice helping ourselves transform. And that's why the message of self-identity, emotional intelligence, relational spirituality, This is why our ancestors taught children who they are before they taught them how to be a firefighter, how to be a smith, how to be a parson. Before they taught them anything, they knew who they were. And now I hope through this teaching, Thomas, you can say that I'm the child of, that I'm the grandchild of, and that I'm a member of this beautiful earth, you know, because that's really the inheritance of, of the universe. That's what I feel the creator is calling us all to remember. So thank you so much. And, you know, I would love for your audience to get a free copy of my book, to get connected with us. And, you know, I want to stay connected to you too. And I would love to have you on our podcast very soon.
0: Oh, that, that's a beautiful invitation. And, and I can't wait for that podcast. And, and thank you so much again for coming on. And can you just uh, give your website? Where can people find your books? Where can they contact you?
1: Okay, it's thesacred7.com. And uh, seven is spelled out. And you, once you go there, you can connect with me. Um, I do a free 30-minute consultation uh, about my individual coaching and also my group coaching. And you can get a free copy of the book there. Also, if there's anyone here that is, um, that is unable to uh, see, I have a free audio book as well for them. And, uh, yeah, I would just love to, you know, grow community together. Your mission and our mission is definitely joined. Uh, so again, thank you so much. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait till the next time we get to connect.
0: Uh, so beautiful. And, and, uh, you know, this was an amazing show. There's so much value, so much wisdom. And for everybody listening, I just I really want to encourage you to go out there and find your sacred ancestry because whatever you think you are, you are so much more than that.